You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. All right, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, let's backtrack a little bit. Thus far, we've been in the life uh, of Jesus. We started with the life of John the Baptist, started with what the gospel is all about, what it means. It is in Greek, it means the good news. So this is the good news about who? It's about Jesus Christ, about one person. So we talked about John the Baptist. We've also now talked about the birth of Jesus, how we came onto the world scene. It was a miracle, supernatural. The shepherds, the wise men come to visit him. We also then jumped 30 years later to when he's an adult. He's 30 years old, roughly about. That's when he began his ministry, Luke tells us. And uh, this past two weeks, we talked about the disciples that he chose. He chose 12 disciples. Many followed him, but he had 12 distinct men that followed him. Weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They were ordinary, dumb men. And they got to know Jesus in a personal, awesome way. And they would go out, be sent forth, and they would change the world, literally. And when we get down the road in the book of Acts, Acts is when the church is birthed. We see the disciples in action, preaching the gospel. It's a great story. So now that we've gotten to the point where Jesus has his 12 disciples, we're now at the point in Matthew chapter 5, one of the famous passages in the gospel and probably in the whole Bible, is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And this is when Jesus is given his first public ministry and he's preaching to his disciples. Now the text says he's also preaching to the crowds. The crowds were there, but it's really directly for the disciples. He is teaching them how to live a godly life. And there's morals. And he never, Jesus was great. He never really um, stayed with the tradition of the Old Testament. He got a little deeper. He got deeper into the heart. Now the Pharisees were all like, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. Hey, you can't be doing that. What are you doing? The law says this. Hey, if you're the son of God, why aren't you keeping the law? And Jesus says, look, I'm fulfilling the law. You guys have been taking it way too extreme, way too legalistic. It's about the heart, not about doing good works. It's about the heart. So we're going to start in chapter 5, and I've entitled the sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount, part 1 of 3, because the Sermon on the Mount's a long um, passage of Scripture, so we're going to be in there for about three parts. Sermon on the Mount, about our attitude and our influence. That's the theme, our attitude and our influence. That's what Jesus is really trying to chime in to his disciples on how you are to have your attitude be, how to conduct your life, and then what influence are you in front of others? What's your influence in front of others? So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read just uh, about 15, 16 verses, starting in verse 1. Then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll begin our study. It says this, Matthew 5. Now when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for a new day, new morning. We pray that we would learn something new from your Sermon on the Mount. We've probably read this dozens of times, but Lord, there's always something new that pops out to us every time we read your word. So help us to learn something new. Go before us as we be, uh, begin to study this, the Beatitudes and what it means to be salt and light. And um, Father, go before us now. Help us to, this to encourage us, to be challenging, maybe to convict some of us. Um, but Lord, we just need your help. We love you, Lord. And, and it's in your sons we, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he begins by giving these Beatitudes. And I want to look at the screen real quick, and I want to talk just to kind of the backtrack in the background of this chapter 5. And the word blessed or blessed really in the Greek means happy or fortunate. So he's saying, oh, how happy are blank, 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 or fortunate. That is what it means to be blessed or blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, the Beatitudes, you may have a subtitle above chapter 5. It says the Beatitudes. That really in the Greek means a declaration of blessedness. He is declaring blessedness upon the people if you live like this. So he's saying, this is how you are supposed to conduct your life and live this way. Then you'll be blessed. Then you will be happy in a way. You'll be happy in the sense of living out your Christian life this way. That's what it says. The Sermon on the Mount shows how a person who is in a right relationship with God should conduct their life. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. And we're going to keep reading this as the weeks come on. But that is the whole Sermon on the Mount in a, in a summary, in the theme. That's the conduct of how you and I are supposed to live our life if we have a right relationship with the Lord. This is how we are to live our life, to conduct our life. And Jesus is saying these eight things about blessed are the blank blank. For they will, and then fill in the blank it says here. He says, oh happy someone will be if you do this. It's the theme, it's the Beatitudes. And I want to look on the screen again. This is actually a real photo. I took this photo. Uh, This is Israel. This is the Sea of Galilee. I've been to the Sea of Galilee about three times now. And this is where they believe that Jesus would have had the crowds be and sit down. And he would have taught them right here. Now, you can see like a fence there and some, some stuff over the, the trees. that They're growing some plants or whatever. But this is the beautiful scene. This would have been lush and green just like it is now. You see on the other side of the Galilee, it's kind of desert-like. That's just the way the, the geographical land was. Some desert, some lush green. So this is where they believe that Jesus sat around the mountainside, around the Sea of Galilee, and uh, would teach his disciples. And then the crowds came. It was like paparazzi. They see Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. We've got to listen in. They're storming in. There could have been thousands upon thousands of crowds of people just sitting down listening to Jesus speak. So this would be awesome, right? It's a beautiful scene to hear the Son of God start preaching and giving a sermon. It's a great thing. The way I like to look at it, backtrack, is how your attitude should be. I know that's kind of cheesy, but that's how I've grown up learning it. That is how your attitude should be. That helps you remember the Beatitudes. And there's one scene you guys remember... And Remember the Titans. You guys have seen Remember the Titans, right? It's a great movie. It's one of my top ten. Great movie. I quote it all the time. I know. But it's just got so many quotes. And the, one of the good scenes in it is when Gary Bertier and Julius Campbell start going at it. They're getting mad at each other. They don't like each other. A little racist over there. There's a little prejudiced. They're kind of like, don't know what's going on. It's back in the 70s, playing football. And they don't like each other. And as they finish the practice and they bump into each other, 
Gary and Julius are like, hi, listen, man. Gary's like, listen, I'm Gary, you're Julius. Let's just get them th- some things straightened out, all right? And then I'm, I'm trying to remember the whole scene. It's been a long time. But Julius is like, why should I give a hoot about you, huh? Why should I give a hoot about you? You're the captain of this team? Yeah, I'm the captain of this team. You've been doing your job? Yeah, I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell the, your rev and your line to block for blood nickel because they ain't blocking up in here and you know it. Something like that. Nobody plays, yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? Wildcats, what? No, I'm kidding. That's a different move. <laughs> what team? And then he's like, after they talk, I can't remember this, more of the stuff, but then they kind of like, they're like, okay, we're, we're getting this. That's when they start building that friendship. And at the end, the line that I love, what Julia says to Gary Bertier, is he says, look, he says, attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Attitude reflects leadership. It's the same here. Our attitude should reflect the leadership of who? Of Jesus. He is our leader. He's our captain, if you will, on a football team, if you, if you will, for that analogy. And he's leading us, and this is how our attitude should be. It's reflecting off of Jesus. And Jesus listed eight blessedness, if you will, and there's one in verse 11, the summary of it all, and I want to go and study each and every single one and what it really means. The first one I want to go over with you, our holy attitude. This is our attitude part, and then we'll get into the influence. That's the salt and the light. But the first one is the poor in spirit. And basically the poor in spirit, what Jesus is saying is it's always depending on God, spiritually humble, a conviction for sin. Because when you read it, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it doesn't say poor physically, but he's talking about poor in spirit. So basically, when you read that, it's like, what is Jesus talking about? He is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who don't take pride in their life, those who don't take pride in in, in anything that is about them, and say, this is is who I am in Christ, or whatever, and they they puff themselves up, they, they know the Bible so well. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, the humility, having a conviction for sin. Always depending on God. Because when you and I start getting to that habit of not depending on God, pride sinks in. And that's when we tell ourselves, I don't really need God. I can actually do everything myself. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He gives a promise. After each blessing, he gives a promise. And he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you choose to live a life of humility, if you choose to depend and lean on me, not on your own understanding, as Proverbs 3 tells us, You lean on me, you depend on me, I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to richly reward you in a blessing spiritual sense on earth and in heaven. These blessings were for our earthly time. They're also heavenly rewards, heavenly blessings. That is the poor in spirit. That is the number one thing Jesus wants when you have a relationship with Jesus. It's always humility. If it is always beginning with me, myself, and I, pride fills up, then you're not really truly walking with the Lord because it's all about you and me. God wants a poor in spirit, and he gives you that blessing. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, he says, those who mourn. Those who mourn. And he says in verse, verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I love that. And basically what Jesus is saying, the mourning part, is that sorrowful over sin. You are sorrowful over sin. You have a repentance of your sin. Those who mourn will be comforted. And it's actually going to go hand in hand. What he's saying is, they're not all random blessed blessings. He is going in order And there's a pattern. We're going to get to this after we finish the eight blessings. But the first one is that depending on God, the morning is sorry for your sin. You are sorrowful for the sin of the earth, 
for the sin of mankind and for your own guilt and sin. You are sorry for that. Those who mourn, and Jesus says, they will be comforted. They will be comforted. Maybe some of you haven't experienced that yet. You just haven't been really sorrowful for your personal sin or for sin in in the world, our country, how it's going down the, the drain, and just the sin that we are so easily entangled by. That's what Hebrews tells us. God has set you free, and if we truly are sorrowful over our sin, then we can now be comforted, knowing God's comfort. And God wants us to have a humble heart, and he wants us uh, to have a broken heart. Basically, that mourning is just being broken before the Lord, being broken. Like a piece of pottery that is now broken, and God can shape them and mold them in a way he wants to. And he's going to give you the choice. If you don't want to be broken, if you just want to have the pride of, of your life and do everything you want to do, look, God will let you do that. It's not going to be easy, though. It's not, the, the road is going nowhere. It's a dead end. So God says, look, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Thirdly, <clears throat> blessed are the meek. And I love what it says here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And the word meek really means a humble or gentleness before the Lord. That's what it means in the Greek, really. It's a humbleness and a gentleness before the Lord. And I love, um, someone said that the meekness is not a sign of weakness. When you are meek and mild, you know that, that song about Jesus, meek and mild in the manger when he was born. The word meek does not mean a sign of weakness. It's not like we are weak. Meekness really means a gentle spirit, gentleness, humility before the Lord, and also submissive and committed to Jesus. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are submissive to Jesus' word, and blessed are those who are gentle, a gentle-hearted towards the Lord, towards other people. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. They will fill the earth. They will fill the earth with God's goodness, his glory. They will be that salt and light that we're going to talk about. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not a sign of weakness. Meekness is something we should strive towards. It's not a sign of saying, you're just weak. You're always, you're always just humble and, and calm. You're just too gentle. You need to stand firm. Yes, the Bible calls us to stand firm in our faith, but the Bible also says to have that meekness and that faith like a child to be humble before your God. Meekness is not a sign of weakness. It is doing God's will. That's what he wants us to do. Number four, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Basically, that's kind of self-explanatory. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. There's that promise. That's a spiritual appetite to do God's will. If you hunger and thirst, in spiritual sense, for righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is doing what God says is is right, basically. It's just self-explanatory. It is living the Ten Commandments. It is living God's word, but not in a legalistic way. You get down to the heart. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness in our country, righteousness for the world, righteousness in your own home, righteousness in your own heart. God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this. Because there's plenty of Christians out there, plenty of people who don't know the Lord that don't really have a hunger for this. We just go through the motions. We just come to church. We do this and that, but we don't have that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God says he is that living water. If you thirst after Jesus, he is going to fill you up in ways you can't even imagine. And that's the promise. Those who hunger and thirst, those who have that spiritual appetite to know God more, to be in his word, to have fellowship with the other believers, you're going to be filled. If you feel empty this morning, if you, if you have felt empty in the past, spiritually empty, there's something that's not satisfying you. I've tried this, I've tried that. Some are good, some are not so good. Ways that we can try to fill our life, ways that we can try to satisfy our life, whether it's a relationship or not. It could be good, it could be a bad one. Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. 
whether it's something that we need to satisfy ourselves, and we're going nowhere. We're still empty. God says, I want you to put away all that stuff. I want you to follow after me. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you'll be filled. If you know Jesus and he lives in your heart today, he's going to fill you up immeasurably. The blessings are going to come. It's just a matter of time. We don't need to search for anything else to fill us up. I get so broken and so, you know, just, uh, I just feel so terrible for the, for the people that try to search for other things. You know, there, there's the famous quote from the New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. I don't like Tom Brady as a person, but I, I love him as a quarterback. I think he's awesome. I love watching him play. And one of the interviews he had years ago um, was when he won at least two or the three of the Super Bowls he has. And he had this huge house. He had everything he wanted. And he had an interview, and the, guy, and the interviewer said, how is it like being Tom Brady? You've won all these Super Bowls, you're not even like 27 years old yet, and you're doing everything, and th- this is just great. How do you feel? He says, yeah, can, with all the Super Bowls, with the big house, with the cars, with being, you know, in a huge, great dynasty in New England, and everyone knowing you are, he says, there's still something missing. And he said this, it was interesting, he says, I can't put my finger on it. I don't really know what it is, but I'm, I'm still searching for something. That's amazing. If you know the Bible and you're a Christian, you know what that is. Tom, you're searching for Jesus. But he doesn't even know what it is. That is, he is speaking for the thousands upon thousands in our world who are saying, I've got everything, but there's still something missing. I'm still searching, and I don't really know what it is. That's what what God is saying. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. You're going to be filled spiritually. Let's hunger and thirst for that righteousness. Number five, merciful. Self-explanatory. Those, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you've shown mercy to other people, if, if they are, have wronged you in a way, and you feel like they, they need to, you know, apologize, or something needs to be worked out and get right, if you just try to get the revenge, or try to say, like, I don't care about what this is, I'm just going to do it my own way, if we don't show mercy, we're not going to be shown mercy ourselves. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That is really extending mercy to others. Some of us don't deserve everything. And a lot of people, you know, they do need the due punishment. A lot of us in here have been wronged, whether it's something small. And they never got what they needed, really, if we, the way we think of it. But Jesus says, look, blessed are you who are merciful. Under any circumstance, you will be shown mercy. By who? by others, and then ultimately by Jesus himself. You'll be shown mercy. Number uh, number six, the pure in heart. I love this one. He says also, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's an awesome promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's basically a sincerity of heart and inwardly clean from sin through faith in God. The pure in heart. Inwardly Pure from sin and having a faith in Jesus, a sincerity of heart. I'm not just talking about sexually pure or pure from this or that, you've, you've abstained from this, but pure in heart, the pure motives. Sincerity. You are honest with people. You have a sincere Christian attitude towards other people. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's nothing fake about you. There's nothing plastic about you. You are pure in heart. And Jesus says, you will see God. Blessed are those who are just pure in heart. 
who just want everything to be real. You are sincere, you are sincere with others. You are sincere with God. You give your fears. You give your doubts. You give your troubles to the Lord. You are sincere. You are pure in heart. You have a cleansing inwardly from sin. You have a faith in God unlike anything else. And Jesus says, you will see God. That's a promise. It's a blessing. You will see God face to face. Some of us, I, I can't wait for that day. We get to heaven and we see Jesus. We see God face to face. But he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Have that pure motive. Not just physically, but spiritually pure. Number seven, the next one, peacemakers. Self-explanatory. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Children of God. Blessed are those who show peace unto others and unto God. You have this peace that passes all understanding, Paul says. In the New Testament, he says, there is a peace that passes all understanding. If you and I seek after that peace and then we make peace with others, I'm not talking about world peace. There is never going to be world peace until Jesus comes back and establishes his throne. He's the prince of peace, so then there will be world peace. I'm sick and tired of everyone saying, we just need world peace. It's not going to happen. Thousand-year reign, that's what's going to happen. Peace on earth. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If we seek after the Prince of Peace, we will then make peace with others. There's that peace and harmony with Christians, with non-believers. Blessed are their peacemakers, for they will be sons. They will be called sons of God. I want to be known as a son, a child of God. I want to strive and conduct my life in a way that is peaceful. God can only give you that peace that passes all understanding. There isn't anything that is, again, going to satisfy us, going to give us peace, except Jesus. Then when he says, when you receive that peace, you go and make peace with others. Peace, not that. Just peace, harmony. Only from the Prince of Peace. And last but not least, number eight, persecuted. This is the rough one. This is the tough one. He says, blessed are the persecuted, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He gives another, theirs is the kingdom of heaven promise. Blessed are the, the persecuted, it is patient endurance for God and his kingdom. We are patiently enduring this life. We are in a race. And there's going to become persecution along the way. There's going to be people who are going to stick a foot out in our race trying to make us stumble spiritually. And then Jesus would say in the summary in verse 11 more about persecution. The Bible says it's not a matter about if, it's a matter about when you are persecuted. Are you going to fall on your knees and not know when to get up? Or are you going to trust in God, stand firm in your faith when persecution of any shape or form comes? Because Jesus says, the promise is, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 11 again. It says, blessed are you when people insult you. Check, that's happened before. Blessed are people when persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Maybe gossip. Talk about something against you because of me, Jesus is saying. This isn't happening because you're just some random person. This is happening because you... You accepted Jesus into your heart. People are persecuting you because of me, Jesus is saying. But he's telling his disciples, blessed are you when that happens. When people say all kinds of insults against you. When people curse at you. When people hate you. Gossip about you. Because of me. He says, great is your reward in heaven. James chapter 1. If you read James, it's a great practical book. And in James chapter 1, he begins by saying, he says that, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that your great is your reward. It's going to happen. If you're not getting persecuted, it will happen. 
Or if you're not getting persecuted, it may, it, may not be, it may be because you're not really living this life and people can't tell the difference. If you come up to me and say, I really haven't faced any persecution yet, well, there's two things. Maybe because it hasn't happened yet and God's just blessed you with that. Or number two, you haven't, re- haven't been really living a Christian life and people can't tell the difference. We should actually be looking different wherever we go if we're a Christian. People should be looking at us and saying, you're not like one of us, you're different. There's something about you that's different. If they don't see something different in you or in me, then something's not right. Am I really following after Jesus? Or it could be just that God is blessing me in this life right now and persecution hasn't really come my way, but it will. If we are living this life, people are not going to like us. Why? Because we look like our Father in heaven, made in his image. We are following after Jesus, and that's just not the cool thing anymore. Dude, I can do whatever I want to get to heaven. God still loves me. Really? I'd be a little caution over that. We need to be getting right with the Lord. And this Beatitudes is the attitude that we should be living. This is the attitude. That's the attitude part. The next one is our influence. Let's read it again in verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So he gives a little analogy of salt. The next one is light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, now he gives a little application. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So here's the influence part. He just gave the attitude. Blessed are you when you do this, this, and this. You're going to receive these blessings on earth or in heaven. Now he says, now's your attitude part, disciples. You are salt and light of the earth. little analogy. What is salt? What does salt do? Salt gives flavor. It's seasoning. It cleanses things, heals wounds. It preserves things. Back in the you know, middle, medieval times, you, you didn't have refrigerators until just recently, in the, within the last 100 years or so, max or whatever. But before, but before that, you didn't have refrigerators. What would they do to, to keep things from getting spoiled? Meat, specifically. They'd salt it. They'd put it in salt. It keeps it fresh, it cleanses it, it preserves it. So Jesus says, look, I'm going to call you the salt of the earth. You are my ambassadors, you are here to cleanse, you are here to season, you are here to be that salt, that thing that preserves society, because society is going down the drain. So Jesus says, we are not to be losing our saltiness as ambassadors for Christ. The next one is light. This is a pretty easy one. He is the light of the world, he is the source of the light. We are the reflectors. We reflect his light. Just like the moon reflects the sun. We are reflecting Jesus' light. Again, we are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses on a lost earth, a lost world that is just going nowhere. Here's the application. Jesus is teaching that if we live as servants in humble and right hearts, with humble and right hearts, we will be richly blessed here on earth as well as in heaven. It's a blessing. But there is something that God asks us to do. It's our conduct. And he says, he's teaching if we live as servants who are humble and right with the Lord, we will be richly blessed. We're going to be blessed here on earth and in heaven. Our rewards are in heaven too. The application is, is my attitude and my influence reflecting the leadership of Jesus? That's basically what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, the Beatitudes and the salt and light part. It's our attitude and our influence. Is my attitude in front of people, in front of Jesus, 
and my influence, my example here on earth, the salt and light, is that reflecting Jesus? Am I being a good witness and a good ambassador in front of everybody? Take that to heart. Is my attitude and my influence reflecting Jesus as my leader? Let's pause and pray and we'll head out. Father, we thank you for today's study. I just pray that those who may have maybe struggling with some of these beatitudes and the blessings and what does it mean by pure in heart and if we're really living after this. And Lord, I pray that our attitude would be reflecting after you. Lord, I pray that we would check our heart. We would be right with you, that we would be humble in heart. This would be a way of, of living. This is a conduct of living. And Father, if our attitude is not right, our influence is not going to be right. So I pray that you would help us change our attitude for others, that we would have a a right attitude towards you, that we would receive these awesome blessings and promises you want to give us. But Lord, we have to reflect who you are first. And Lord, after we have the attitude straightened up, we, we need to have that right influence. Help us to be that salt and light that you've called us to be. In a dark world as it is right now, Lord, we, the church is the only thing that needs to shine bright and parts of the world, the church is becoming dark. So Lord, I pray that you would give us that fervor, that, that light to shine before others, to be that witness. Help us to check our attitude and our heart. We thank you for this Sermon on the Mount. We, we get excited by, by just reading the teachings of, of you and how you tell us to live. It's about the heart, not about the works. So, Father, we, go, we uh, pray that you go before us. Give us a good, uh, good week of school and work and whatever we do in between. Help us to be your ambassadors, Father. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.